0: Griffin Nuggets were supposed to go out minutes ago. Now I'm the king of the swingers. Whoa, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering
1: me. Our podcast, it's common. delicious. And don't believe us? Ask town. the listeners. And just Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Mouse the Madness, a the 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 podcast the dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox,
2: and I'm Kyle Skinner,
1: and we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at mousemadnesspod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, we are back talking about Disney on-screen foods. I hope you brought your appetite because I definitely did.
2: Uh, Especially after last week's episode. I think that we found maybe not exactly what you were looking for. Uh, You you stated that at the end of, I, took some, I you definitely definitely took some L's. I definitely took some L's. Yeah. But but you were full at the end, and I think we all were. And I think that that's what it's all about. We're going to dive in, we're going to dive deep, and we're going to continue to do that here in the second episode. And to help us do that, we have brought back our guest host, Dear Say, Dear Say. How are you doing?
0: Fantastic. You know, I'm very happy you guys invited me back despite me yelling at Chris for being wrong after
2: <laughs> the last episode. That's you're all right. right. And you, you're right, though. And, and I am you, wrong. and and you brought up a point uh that we've dealt with and we talked about it on the last bracket uh, about guest bias and and who invites the guest and if they're gonna more likely side with the hosts that they got invited by and you kind of hinted at that at the end of last episode because uh you and i have been friends uh for years mostly online because we we met each other on facebook when we were both about to go to uc santa barbara and we met for the first time at disneyland
0: <laughs> god it was so cute senior year of high school um grad night we had been facebook friends for a little bit because we were both supposed to go to uc santa barbara <laughs> and both of our grad nights just happened to be the exact same night and i was like we need to meet at this very moment and from there a
2: beautiful friendship was born and how bizarre because um grad nights happen what like four times three or four times a week every week for about a month and a half and so for like my northern california high school to meet up with your san diego high school was just incredible and then how chris and i became really good friends is over our connection to Disney, but then we also solidified that by a trip to Disneyland.
1: (laughs) That meeting story is straight out of 2012. (laughs) It's perfect. It's like four or five years earlier, you would have been too scared to do that. (laughs) Four or five years after, you would have been too lazy to do that. So like you got that sweet spot where like, you're down to meet strangers on the internet, you know?
2: (laughs) Exactly, when making friends on the internet wasn't quite as scary, but it, it still was. Thankfully, it was grad night, so there were thousands of people, and it was it was mo- a mostly safe environment. Just like this podcast, Chris, we are also a safe environment where opinions are welcome. say, brought the heat last time. Uh, we're about to bring it again, but before we do, we got to talk a little bit of a spoonful of sugar, Chris. Totally. I got
1: something, a uh, holiday week, Thanksgiving week, and so... I you know, I'm feeling the holiday spirit so i got something that was served in 2019 last year at disney hollywood studios in florida it's called the holiday mule hmm. i have a very love hate relationship with moscow mules because i think they are delicious but they also do not sit very well with me so sometimes i regret it but we're gonna see what happens it's got vodka lemon liqueur cranberry juice and ginger beer and we'll just hope I don't have a hangover by the end of the episode. <laughs> Kyle, what do you got today?
2: Uh, I I hopped over to the craft beer again. Uh, it's usually, I, I feel like I flip and I flop every episode where I, I start out with a cocktail and then the second part, I do a little beer action and that's what I got here. So I have something called Goop Therapy. It's a hazy IPA that's from Ghost Town Brewing here in Oakland, California. I've never had this. I've actually, uh, there's a Whole Foods by our house kind of, and my girlfriend will often go and pick up like six packs that are just like build your own. And so she just like built a bunch of random ones, and this was happens to be one of them. And we really like Ghost Town here in Oakland. It's a really great brewery and a, and a spot that you wouldn't really expect it here in Oakland. So I'm happy to be supporting the, the local spot. Dear Say, what have you got this week?
0: so i am not as prepared as i was episode the first episode of the series you know i made an adorable you know mini mouse margarita the first time this time around um i was handed a pbr by my roommate that i put mini mouse ears on top of
2: (laughs) take beer but make it festive
0: exactly you know sometimes we just need. Anything. This is like the 99-cent Jack-in-the-Box talkers of beer.
1: I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'm not going to admit it, but I'll take it any day of the week. Cool. It works. works for us. So before we get back into our bracket, let's remind everyone our survey demographic. Who is responsible for these foods? We asked DCA fans in the comment section of Disneyland's Buena Vista Street reopening announcement. People were eager beavers to get back into the park, especially for free. Yeah. So lots of people really excited to do some shopping, order some food. And so uh, we asked them, what's your favorite Disney on-screen food, fictional Disney food? And they got us to where we are now, and we've got our Elite Eight after working our way through the first round last episode. Just to remind everyone where we're at, we've got... The number 16 seed, Al's Cheese Puffs, versus the number 8 seed, Aurora's Birthday Cake. We've got the number 13 seed, The Bow, from Bow, versus the number 5 seed, Lady and the Tramp Spaghetti. We've got the number 2 seed, Tiana's Gumbo, versus the number 7 seed, Griffin Nuggets, from Onward. And rounding out the round of eight, we've got the number three seed Abuelitas Tamales versus the number 11 seed Chef Louis Stuffed Crab.
2: These are some hard-hitting matchups here. I am extremely interested in hearing everyone's (laughs) thoughts, especially in this first-round matchup that seemed to really squeak by uh, and surprise some folks that there was an upset. So, Chris, why don't you lead us off in this bracket?
1: Yeah, this is going to start getting really tough, I think, because we're really going to have to start asking ourselves, like, the Disney food genre, like, what does that really mean? Last episode, we did a good job kind of filtering out foods that maybe don't look so appetizing, and we're left with eight foods that, for the most part, do look pretty appetizing. So, like, what about these foods make them good Disney foods? Last time we talked about Al's Cheese Puffs and, like, the fact that he's eating them, what do they say about Al's character? He's kind of like a lazy-ish dude that is probably not in the best physical health. Aurora's birthday cake being all uh, janky is a reflection of Fauna being kind of a, a space cadet and not being too great of a chef. Ultimately, we kind of have a problem with Aurora's birthday cake, right? Because there's two cakes. So, like, which one, which one are we talking about? Are we right. talking about the one that doesn't get baked that is being propped up by a broom because it's fallen over? Or are we talking about the one that is the one that ends up being made by a magic and gets served to Briar Rose when she comes home that day? Right. One little observation I made about that birthday cake, it's got 14 candles on it. And it is Aurora's 16th birthday. So in addition to Fauna not knowing how to cook, she does not know how to count
2: either. That's a great detail. That's such a great like Disney detail that they I, I would assume was intentional. Like if she doesn't know how to make this cake, she's a space cadet, of course she would either miscount or think Aurora's only 14.
1: Last time we also talked about how Kyle, neither of us are are big sweets people. Mm -hmm. So that eliminated the gray stuff for us in the first round. And we've got another dessert here with Aurora's birthday cake. So if it's coming down to like a, a basic discussion of would you rather eat some cheese puffs or would you rather eat some birthday cake? I mean, normally I'd probably go with like the savory snack. Cheese puffs though, man, like, I feel like I have a little bit more respect for myself. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Not that people who eat cheese puffs don't have respect for themselves, but it's definitely like the definition of empty calories. And at least a good like savory cake has a little like flavor profile. And it can be like a culinary journey eating a a delectable cake. I think that's unfortunate as we never get to see Aurora's birthday cake get eaten or even cut into for that matter. So we don't really know, like, is it a chocolate cake or is it vanilla cake? Is it a red velvet cake? Is it a ice cream cake? Like we don't really know. I mean, I guess I would assume it's just kind of like a normal white because, cake with vanilla icing. Yeah. It, it looks say. like
0: white cake. It does. Yeah. With flavored with some eggshells for good measure.
1: <laughs> Both of these foods are featured in sequences that I find hilarious. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, the minefield of Cheetos with the disgusting silent burp in the case of Toy Story 2. And we've got the just hilarious magic montage as the three good fairies are preparing Briar Rose's birthday in Sleeping Beauty. Okay, I have to say
0: something. I feel like throughout episode one, I was the defender of the sweets. And I'll stick to it, to be completely honest. Just because something doesn't fit the the flavor profile that you are particularly a fan of, doesn't mean it's the worst. And Aurora's birthday cake was made, you know, through trial and error, of course, but with so much more love and care and attention, even though most of it was faulty and borderline gross, then this man that put cheese puffs out of a bag into a bowl and spilled half of them on his floor for Woody and the horse to step on. So
1: let's just talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, it's interesting. When I think about Sleeping Beauty, I think about the fairies. This this movie to me is about the three good fairies much more than it's about Aurora or Filthy Phil, who we love to hate. So like, When I close my eyes and I'm like, let me think about Sleeping Beauty. Let me think about like the highlight scenes and the best scenes. Like this is number one, right? Like this movie defines Sleeping Beauty to me. And then I try to do the same thing with Toy Story 2 and honestly – it's Al's Cheese Puffs <laughs> for oh that movie for gosh. me also. Like, <laughs>
0: no. It's
1: like for some reason that scene is just like so ingrained in my mind. Maybe that and When Sh- Somebody Loved Me. Like maybe those are like the two. But that Al's Cheese Puffs scene like has everything that you need to know about the plot of Toy Story 2 in it. It's got like this new character Bullseye in it who is this kind of funny sidekick that's very cute and very derpy it's got uh you know woody trying to be like this escape artist trying to get out of a a situation it's got al being the blob of a human being that he is uh and it's got the the end where the TV goes on and Woody ends up not getting his arm out of the pocket, the shirt pocket. So it's got that kind of like weird betrayal. There's like an unknown villain going on. It's all featured in this cheese puff scene. So it's really, really kind of a toss up. So I'm just going to have to go with my gut and say it's Aurora's birthday cake, just because uh, I like the fantasy element, love Sleeping Beauty. And I just think it's hilarious.
2: So the, I want to talk a little bit about the cheese puff scene Uh, because not only are you like correct in that you see a lot of motivations, a lot of what toy story two is all about, which is like an escape movie from this big villain. And you have the introduction of new characters and new friends along the way. Uh, But we also get a little snippet of Woody's roundup, which is a slap. And that we see the full version of. So we know that there's a Woody backstory coming. uh, Because Al was presumably like watching Woody's roundup as he fell asleep. But also, Chris, in this scene, we might have the yeets of all yeets. When Al wakes up, (laughs) when Al wakes up and Woody is on his chest, he gets so startled that Woody gets yeeted off of al onto the floor next to the couch like he gets tossed (laughs) like there's probably one other yeet that's even harder than that one it's like one of the the dudes that gets thrown by the kraken in one of the pirates movies but like woody gets tossed you
1: sent me a great screenshot of that where it was like al waking up and woody's boots are just like out of the frame that animation of him flying—they let that go for maybe one or two flat frames. It was like boo he gone. He's just good. a blur. He's just a red and blue and brown blur going across <laughs> the screen.
2: It's so good. It's so good. I think that uh, with the birthday cake, I'm going off of the end product. So even though the the sequence is all about how fauna is in another dimension at all times and can't make this cake and is messing it up and that's the comedy in that sequence what is the end product is this like perfect cake which i described last episode as being kind of like a grocery store cake it kind of looks like something that you would buy that's already pre-made so i agree it's probably like a white cake it's probably some sort of very plain frosting and it's Fairly sweet, right? It's what you would expect out of a birthday cake. Uh, man. <laughs> oh, man. So I fanboyed a lot over cheese puffs last episode because I think they are an incredible snack. I uh, feel like I was put down a little bit in this episode, and my <laughs> feelings are a little bit hurt because the way Chris described the folks who do eat these cheese puffs and
1: uh, let me stop you and ask you a question before please. you go any further about cheese puffs please what do you do with the cheesy fingers you lick personally em. oh you like them like all right so do you lick them as you're going or do you wait until you're done eating all the cheese puffs you're going to eat and like lick them
2: this is a the internal battle of eating any cheese covered snack is when do you lick your fingers? Because once you do, you risk contaminating the rest of the bag for others. If you care about that, or if you're a savage and just want to continue eating, All right? that's me. I just do it. Um, I always want to just be like, man, just hold on. Just don't do it. Just don't lick the fingers until uh, you're completely done. And I don't know that I've ever made it to that point.
1: So to be honest with you, I have some like Cheeto dust trauma from my childhood. Sitting in the lunchroom, looking around at all of the kids eating their Cheetos and, like, some of them having, like, semi-licked uh, halfway through the Cheeto bag fingers just disgusted me. But not quite as much as the girl in my class who used to wipe her Cheeto dust fingers on her socks. So after 12.15, every day... This girl was running around the playground with orange Cheeto dusty socks. Every day. Literally every day.
2: I don't like that. So I I have
1: like a a negative stigma when it comes to like cheese puffs, Cheeto dust, all that stuff. So that's kind of where I'm coming from.
2: Okay. I I can appreciate it. I, I also, what has stuck with me for the last week is the way you described where these Cheetos would be bought. And I don't quite... Uh, appreciate the condescending tone <laughs> with the first thing you see when you walk into Walmart.
0: Is he wrong because,
2: though? Because it's true and it hurts. Is he wrong though? <laughs> because it's true and it hurts. Okay, I'm a snack boy. I love me some snacks. Uh, not a huge cake person. Even at a birthday party, I usually pass on it. To be honest, they're Ooh. slicing up the cake and they're like, "Who wants some cake?" I'm usually like, "I'm full off cheese puffs." So I'm gonna advance. Cheese puffs here, which means just like <laughs> no, last time, no, we're gonna no. send it to Dear Say to break this tie.
0: I wish everyone could hear the way my face looks at this moment <laughs> in time. Uh, there there are some this podcast has caused some irreparable damage to my friendship with Kyle. <laughs> I funny. just wanna lay that out there. However, this is exciting because I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've agreed with Chris. <laughs> Let's go. Yes, Aurora's birthday cake. Let's talk about that. For starters, it was made with love. Who loves oh, yeah. Who loves Al? Let's talk about that. No one does. Al doesn't love
1: cheese Al. Cheese puffs love Al. Like, yeah, Al the loves cheese puff cheese
2: industry.
0: <laughs> That's basically it. Also, Kyle, you mentioned how this was such a pivotal... You know, memorable scene. I struggled to remember it until we really dove into it. For me, Buzz seeing all the other Buzzes, yes, at Big Al's Toy Barn was way more memorable. You know, of course, everything with Jesse, hell, Barbies, yeah. uh tour of yeah. the Toy Barn and the pool party and all of that was way more memorable to me. Than the cheese puffs.
2: I mean, had I never, like, had I not seen this movie semi-recently, the one scene that has always stuck with me has been the toys crossing the street with cones. That's like one of the most, wait for it, iconic moments of Toy Story 2.
0: Yes. So Aurora's birthday cake, I mean, considering the fact that this is a cake that was being held up by a broom, that's still better than cheese puffs in my opinion. We're advancing the cake. Happy birthday, Aurora. This
1: one's for you. I'm very satisfied. I don't know why this cheese puff scene just like stuck with me so much. I would guess I attribute it to the childhood cheese puff trauma, but uh, regardless, uh, Aurora's birthday cake is advancing to the final four.
2: All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup. It's Bow versus Spaghetti. Okay, I did not get to talk about either of these last time. So I'm glad that they're matched up here. So Chris, you had kind of asked about our takes on Italian food and uh, you know, when you see the spaghetti and you're correct, the meatball ratio is incredibly important because meatballs are so delicious. So and good. So and good. we can assume, as you brought up with the history of like Italian immigration in America, that this is authentic Italian food from a man who presumably had a restaurant in Italy. So this is like as good as it gets in especially where Lady and the Tramp currently reside, which is like Marceline, Missouri, or a town just like it. The only issue I had with it was, and this is... Mostly because of the animation. But it was how little sauce there appeared to be on these noodles. I'm a, I'm a sauce boy. I want, I, want, I want some sauce on that spaghetti. You're and saucy boy. Saucy. I get lost in the sauce all the time. <laughs> and there were some pan out moments from the scene where it appeared there was not enough sauce for my liking. On these and, and
1: now that I think about it, the meatballs themselves look very naked. They're like brown. And like oh. a meatball is normally like red cause it's got sauce on it.
2: Right. And it gets a little bit better when we do have that. Everybody have a drink in hand, That iconic moment where they do share the noodle and they, and tramp does push over the, the meatball to her where you do see a little, like there's some sauce in there. Um, But overall, I kind of prefer a little bit more sauce. However, Dear Say brought this up last time uh, with the cake discussion. I feel like this plate, even though it was prepared very quickly, they had it on deck, it was intentionally made with like literally love in mind. The Tony in the restaurant knew exactly what was happening. Tramp brought Lady for a date. There's love involved. We gotta make this perfect. How are we gonna make this perfect? Give them our best dish spaghetti meatballs. And I'm going to hop on the accordion real quick. Hey, uh, my little assistant guy, grab a mandolin. We're going to jam out real quick. You know, <laughs> like it, it was like intentionally made with love. It also is a defining moment of the movie. When we start talking about like, if these foods are more than just food items, like what do they do for the movie? This spaghetti scene does everything for this movie. When you think of Disney icons, you think of the Disneyland castle and then you think of a plate of spaghetti because Lady and the Tramp is so iconic to the Disney name.
1: That's the thing that I was thinking about, too. I was like, there is a Disney montage that exists somewhere that was like Disney's most magical moments. And it's like Cinderella's dress being formed. And then number two, spaghetti kiss. It's like,
2: yeah, you're you're hundred percent right. (laughs) So like it does a lot, not only for the movie, but like for what the Disney brand is, which is like celebrating love, celebrating friendships, celebrating relationships in all forms. That's what a lot of the bread and butter, pun intended, of a lot of Disney movies are, right? So the spaghetti plays a big part, not only in looking delicious, but also moving the story and being very Disney. Uh, the bow, We didn't even get to dive into this. Bows are like, like so delicious. <laughs> I love bows. So from a delicious standpoint, I think they're great. They're like these kind of thicker breaded uh, dishes that you can, that like in the most simple, like non authentic terms like a dumpling just with a thicker like bun around it that you can inject either veggies or you can inject sweets you can have it just plain just the the bao bun itself i prefer to have it with like vegetables and meat inside because i that's just what i like and they're delicious they're doughy Uh, they pack that flavor that you steam them so everything kind of really soaks into that bao bun which is really tasty uh in this short though, uh we have a, a couple and and the wife is cooking up some bows and uh one of the bows starts like crying. <laughs> so the rest. Uh we've talked about this short in the um the best Pixar shorts bracket. So I won't discuss it the plot too much further, but there's a point where mom eats bow. Bao is like a teenager or a young adult. And he he's essentially threatening to like leave the house like he's he's going to move on with life and mom can't accept it. And like straight up just eats this bow. The other bows that came in the basket were served to her husband who chomped those things up and left for work. So we can assume that they're they're good. They're edible. Right. So from a delicious standpoint in this film, they're good. You can't really say that about this specific bow because it was kind of. Done out of like quote unquote necessity for her, and then she immediately just like breaks down. So it's like there is nothing satisfying about that moment, whether it's food or just plot device.
0: Oh, the, Chris, I want you to hop onto this one before I say anything. <laughs> but oh.
2: so so the but the thing is like after I just raved about spaghetti, it's this bow is not going to move past. Lady and the Tramp spaghetti for me. From a delicious standpoint, I'm probably leaning spaghetti if I had to choose these two on a menu. From a, a plot device, to how Disney is it? The spaghetti takes the cake every single time. It's bow is just that that moment is just so startling and and bizarre that I don't see it as a best Disney food. So it's not moving on for me.
1: So. Co on Bows being delicious. Uh, in addition to my newfound love of meatballs, since moving to New York, I have a newfound love of steamed pork buns. Yep. Um, and it's interesting that they come in like a variety of shapes and sizes, as well as like thicknesses. Like, I've had a, a really thin dumpling that you have to eat with like a little spoon helper. Uh, and then also, like, those real thick, bready ones that are just, like, it's like a dessert with meat inside. I can't really tell exactly what kind these Baos are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, maybe somewhere in the middle? It looks like the ingredients she's using are pork, tomato, garlic, green onion. That's kind of, like, what it seems like to me. Yeah, I agree. Regardless, these things are steamed and fresh off the stove And the dad just, like, dives right in. My mouth would be blistered and burned because those (laughs) things are like molten lava.
2: Yes. They're so
1: hard to eat because, like, they're in front of you. They're like, I'm really hungry. But you bite into it and you pay the price. And this dad, like a savage, just, like, shoves three into his mouth at once and just, like, I'm (laughs) out of here. (laughs) Smoke weed every day. Um
0: okay so Kyle's firmly on spaghetti train. Chris
1: Yeah, so so the bow I got another kind of like interesting theory. The mom when she eats the bow, eats it in one bite, she like swallows it whole? So like either he gets dead due to lack of oxygen or the <laughs> stomach acids just like dissolve him? Oh! Or he comes out in one piece on the other side and is oh, like, no, that's, that's ready not for what some revenge. <laughs>
2: that's not what oh god! <laughs> okay, um, I
1: need to no. I have a couple of little behind the scenes things I want to talk about briefly about the bow. Yeah, uh, the the director of this short, Domi Shi, the first woman to direct a Pixar short. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she worked on it for years by herself before she even got anyone else like on the project with her. And so, you know, Pixar they love going on field trips to like research stuff that they're going to animate. And so, uh, there were lots of dumpling trips, according to <laughs> this director. Uh, th- you know, they went out to lunch with the artists and got it right. They also had her mother come in to teach bun making to everyone oh. like she did like oh. classes they got her in twice to teach everyone how to do it and she's like it's insanely difficult and my yeah. mom does it like a boss just like poof, one fluid motion so well that they shot her hands doing it and used that as reference for the animation oh. that's awesome <laughs> pretty cool and i was also like seems like there should be more Pixar things where the food is animated, right? Like, that seems like a, a very obvious choice because all we really have is that sausage party movie when it comes to, like, animated <laughs> food. And oh, that no. is the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> the thing is, according to Domi Shi, she says it's really hard to animate food because everyone's an expert in food. And so, like, it's super hard to get it look convincingly realistic enough. Uh, and they, but they managed to do that with, with this bow movie. And like, so it's really impressive. This bow's walking around with like kind of a little like shimmer on him a little bit Mm -hmm. at all times. Like he's a little steamy and I love that. I just think they did such a good job with this film. It won our best Pixar short bracket, but, uh, ultimately I agree with everything you say about the significance of the spaghetti when it comes to the Disney brand, the movie, there's so much going on. Love bow, love bows, but the better Disney food is Lady in the Trimps, spaghetti and meatballs. I'm sorry, Dear Say, but uh, what are your what are your thoughts on this?
0: Here's the thing. I feel like people in the comments are gonna say, Wow, this guest host is a uh, total contrarian and she just wants to say the opposite of what everyone is saying. However, this is probably one of the hardest ones we've done so far because yeah. Bao has such an intrinsically emotional story behind it. Yeah. Right? And that, to me, again, we're talking about guest host bias. To me, anything family is absolutely gonna have an amazing impact. And the Bao story is just so heartfelt. It's so intense. And yes, you have, Pixar Studios behind it which means it's beautifully animated. It looks like something you would get, you know, out of a restaurant. It literally looks like something you would pay to eat. However, <laughs> I just wanted to get it out there just my love of this short and my love of Bao and my love for Pixar Studios. With yeah. that said, I I have to agree with you both, which feels dirty to me. I don't want I don't want to be here to agree with you. Yeah, I hate
1: to admit when we're oh. right. I know it's
0: tough.
2: We're right when we're right.
0: Oh, I'm just gonna let the men be right. What is this? <laughs> God. But no, Lady in the Tramp spaghetti had a beautiful, you know, setting up scene. It literally encapsulated romance for me for a very long time. Also, straight up spaghetti and meatballs. By Tony, who, you know, emigrated from Italy and found himself in Missouri, you know. I bet they're fantastic.
1: Let's give it to Lady of 100%. All right, let's move over to the other side of the bracket where we have the number two seed, Tiana's Gumbo, versus the number seven seed, Griffin Nuggets, from Onward. Oh, this is going to be a mess. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so... Last episode, we dove a lot into the Griffin Nuggets and like a lot into the possibilities of what could a Griffin Nugget be. Highly recommend if you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to that discussion because it gets hot. (laughs) Uh, Tiana's gumbo. Mike, you said last time, Kyle, just the way everyone reacts to this gumbo is your indication as to how tasty it must be. Unfortunately, we never get a direct shot of the gumbo. And, I mean, that might be kind of what we were talking about, where it's, like, hard to animate food. But all we really get is just, like, a few, like, droplets dripping off of the spoon when Tiana's father eats it. Mind you, like, dad's saying that gumbo is the best he's ever had. Like, is he just saying that because he's your dad? Is it sure. really true? Sure. I don't know. Like, sure. you kind of sure. have to consider that.
2: To. Yes. Um yes.
1: love that this gumbo is set up to be like very thematically important to like what Tiana is trying to get in Princess and the Frog and her ad, her father's advice kind of being like misinterpreted. He's like, you know, wish upon things but also work hard and Tiana's like, "Oh, so you mean just like work hard." And it's one of those things where it's like, "Oh, you didn't realize that you always had what you wanted. It was right in front of you, like the ability to cook gumbo and like bring everyone together. Like you ne- you didn't need to have like a crazy restaurant and all this stuff. Uh, you could have done that the whole time. Like that? Love that the father's pot is introduced as like um like a physical manifestation of this like uh ghost of the father.
2: Yeah, totally. And like
1: the ghost of this advice Unfortunately, this is why Princess and the Frog is such a terrible movie is they just throw all that stuff out for like an hour and a half while she goes on a weird frog adventure trying to get (laughs) Naveen to like give up some money or something. I don't even know, right? Like, Just remove all that. Just keep us human. Keep us in New Orleans. You got it right with all the food stuff. Keep it right there. Mm -hmm. The thing that's really frustrating is that once Tiana's palace is open at the end of the movie... We don't get to see her like doing a lap through the kitchen and like checking things out and being like, "Oh yeah, there is Daddy's pot, like the gumbo's cooking in there. You guys are doing a great job." Or like, "No, no, no. Like, would love to have seen her kind of like hands-on in the kitchen there." Um regardless, just like Lady and the Tramp spaghetti, this gumbo is is thematically significant. I hope we're going to get to taste some in a Disney park one day definitely better than griffin nuggets griffin nuggets are fun to think about but ultimately they're just some nuggets so uh, i got tiana's gumbo pretty easily here
2: yeah griffin nuggets uh caused a bit of a divide in this podcast last episode and it's really been getting at me because i really want to know like the definitive answer if these things were griffin meat or if they were just themed chicken nuggets uh But I do want to ask the two of you one question. What is the superior, the elite dipping sauce for chicken nuggets? Dare say you first. Sweet and sour. Okay. You go sweet and sour. Chris?
1: You can't ask me that, man. You cannot ask me about (laughs) dipping sauces of any kind. Um, Gun to your head. Come on. Let's go. Chick-fil-A sauce. Okay. Oh, the Polynesian? No, the uh, barbecue honey mustard hybrid, <laughs> whatever it is. There you go. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Specify. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. Those are both really good. I think that if I have chicken tenders, I go ranch. If I have the nugs, I go like sweet and spicy because that's who I am inside. Just is there sweet and science
1: spicy. behind that? Does it have to do with like the ratio
2: of like- Of bread to, to chicken yeah I, the, I I like the the ranch with the the more bready substance. It's kind of you know, I don't know what it is. I just that's just where I land, uh, and I get it every time. Thank you for establishing that because I don't know what they were dipping on these things, and I wish we did no, because okay, of that: so
0: It has to be buttermilk ranch there. Like if you're getting like a good chicken tender, it's got to be buttermilk ranch. It's got to be like a good ranch. It can't be: yeah,
1: like- yeah all ranch should be buttermilk.
0: I I agree. Oh, I don't feel dirty in saying that I agree with you. But
2: <laughs> I, all ranch
0: should be buttermilk ranch.
2: That's a take. I don't discriminate amongst ranches. I also don't <laughs> eat ranch a whole lot. And if I do, it's usually with chicken tenders. <laughs> so. I,
1: I kind of hate ranch, but buttermilk ranch has a special place in my heart. All right, slow down. Let's slow down on the ranch hate people. Right? <laughs> I, I put ranch on my pizza. I put ranch on my French fries. You put m <laughs> so on your pizza. You don't get to
0: talk.
2: <laughs> yeah, I didn't even really get to... To chime in about the M&M's pizza, but when you brought up the bleeding of the M&M's, that's my first thought when I saw the scene in Princess Diaries. I was like, (laughs) "Uh, now the cheese has died, and I don't want this. Um, But bringing it back to Griffin Nuggets, I assume that it's chicken. Uh, I love chicken nuggets. I would dip it in ranch of any variety. It's It's probably chicken. Um, But, I mean, you can't match that up. It was a blip. in a a moment in a movie that was trying to make a ton of mythical and mystical references and that was just like one of them It, it just checked the box like okay we got griffins in the form of nuggets let's move on to the unicorns and trash cans like it's it was just trying to continue to world build and that was like my whole thing that I enjoyed of that movie was this massive world building and this adventure and that's what we brought it up in the mini episode I've also brought up multiple times how disappointed I am in Princess and the Frog but what I do really enjoy is that opening scene in which this family is established and I enjoy that it's established around this event that can take place with everyone involved cooking is a a, a sport that is team driven and they show that off here like dad's coaching Tiana, how to do this and mom's supporting and probably also helping her chop up some of the stuff because Tiana's five years old and shouldn't be cho- using knives to chop up some of the vegetables. Also, yeah, dad's probably just saying that is the best he's ever had. But also, we've we've always been in that place with our parents where they are like, this is so great. You're the best. But they also don't step outside and be like, hey, everybody, come into my house and check out this macaroni art. Isn't it the best piece of art you've ever seen? No. Like he's like, Oh, the neighbors are going to love this. And they do. They all show up and they eat. And it's this communal thing. That was what was so big about Tiana's character is how much that she wanted to bring people together. She wanted this restaurant so that people could gather and, and be there. And she wanted to serve her beignets after being given a ton of money at this, uh, At this party for her friend because she cares about her friend and wants to always be there for her. Like she's very driven by relationship, and I, as I brought up, like Disney thematics are all driven by some sort of relationship aspect, and I love that it's kicked off in this movie by bringing people together with Gumbo. I'm with you, Chris. Gumbo's moving on. Dear Say, any last words for the Griffin Nuggets?
0: Absolutely zero because, as I said, I'm not a fan of chicken nuggets. I don't know if I'd be a fan of Griffin nuggets. And Tiana's gumbo is just such a big part of the entire movie. And there's no other answer. It's the gumbo. Let's continue.
2: All right. Let's finish off our Elite Eight matchups. It is the tamales from Coco versus the stuffed crab from The Little Mermaid. Chris brought up last episode that we get to see the production of these stuffed crabs in the form of like Louis chasing down Sebastian and like destroying his kitchen in the process. Uh, we see him singing about fish. First, he cuts off their head, throws them, discards them away, chops up the fish. He threw them on skewers. Saw the crab, uh, Sebastian, and then proceeded to try and chase this thing down to to stuff him and serve him on a plate. And he eventually like gets a hold of him and puts him on a platter and gets served to Ariel. And then we see like the what the finished product is supposed to be, which is a crab that looks exactly like uh, Sebastian, which I guess is good. And n- it's in the corner of the screen in front of Eric. It's Prince Eric's plate is the one with the full dish that we can assume is what louis was going for yep it is the shell of the crab so the way he was like cooking sebastian is just like boil this guy up and then first stuff him, i guess and then boil him up and then like the process seemed out of line the process seemed out of line uh but what the finished product is the shell and we can presume and assume that there's the the Stuffing of whatever goes in there. Uh, we w- weren't really told. <laughs> because also, Chef
1: Louis-, Chef Louis was preparing three dishes and he saw Sebastian and was like, oh, I forgot one. So did he only buy two and thought that like Sebastian was the third one and luckily Sebastian came by or else he would have been a crab short? <laughs> or like, I, it just like, doesn't yeah. make sense that he was like so fixated on getting Sebastian into the pot.
2: That's a, a great question. I, it almost makes me think that, you know how like you do something all the time and you're so in the zone that you just automatically do it? That maybe he prepared all of them and saw the crab and was like, oh, I must have forgotten one and continued to cook it. However, then wouldn't he have the one left over in the kitchen once he ser- plattered them up? Because right. Sebastian was on right. one of them. exactly. <laughs> You're right, yeah. It's a mess of a sequence and John Stamos ruined it. Uh, it's going up against the tamales from Coco. And dare say let us into her life a little bit last episode. And just how important that was. And that is just as important to this movie. The tamales are also representative of family coming together. And like the process of not only making them which is a huge family event, but then enjoying them in the circumstances that they were was a family event, right? It's bringing them together. And it also establishes kind of like what we're about to venture into, which is like, this movie is going to be about family and it's going to be about big families. And we're going to be learning all about uh, Miguel's uh, ancestors.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where, like I said in the last episode, a lot of people were very concerned that Disney wasn't going to do the holiday justice. However, they really did take a good amount of time to process what it is about Dia de los Muertos that is important to us as a culture. And a big part of it is that we really do take into account that day to memorialize those loved ones of ours that have gone ahead. And part of the ofrenda, which is, you know, the altar, is stacked with things that our relatives loved in life. So, for example, I spoke a little bit about my personal life last episode. I made the ofrenda for my father this year, and it wasn't the classiest one. It wasn't something my mother would be, but He loved beer and Fritos, so I got seven different kinds of beer, a bunch of Fritos, I handmade pan de muerto, which is traditional, but tamales and, you know, mole and different kinds of items that are so ingrained in our culture are also relatively often found in ofrendas because they're what the people enjoyed in their life. and. The tamales in cocoa just means so much more than a small little scene of Megan not wanting to eat because he wants to go make music or whatever. It genuinely means grandma, you know, took the time, took an entire day to make the masa, stuff the masa, steam the tamales, have it ready for the ofrenda, which can I say, it's a weird goals of mine. In Coco, the ofrenda has its own room. Now, (laughs) I don't live in an Hacienda-style building, and I don't think any of us do, but the fact that they had a specific room for the ofrenda itself, that's goals. I would love to get to that point at one day. But again, you know, Chris brought up that Chef Louis didn't seem to know what he was doing because he's like, oh, loose crab. This is probably <laughs> mine. Whereas Abuelita was absolutely thinking about, you know, her, her, her father, her grandparents, relatives of hers, and taking the time to make sure she made the dishes that not only her living family would enjoy, but her deceased ancestors who she was commemorating. That in itself just takes the tamales from Coco to a different level, in my opinion. Sorry, Chef Louis, but if you don't even know what you're cooking, you're not going to go uh, advance against Amarnita.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I think that even when you kind of process, like uh, how we broke down uh, in previous matchups, like what these moments meant to the movies, it, Chef Louis' scene kind of established that. Prince Eric was living in this very quintessential royal life, right? Like, he has these dinners, even if it's only a few of them, at this huge table that's prepared by the chef that has been hired to only cook for them. And that's important because I think that, like, even though Ariel fell in love with Eric because of who, like, because he was, like, attractive, like, that exaggerating royalty was also something that was like appealing to her, like impressing her that she was in this castle uh, with at this long table and food was being served to her on platters. Uh, So it it was an important establishment, but it wasn't necessary, right? It was important in the pot because Sebastian uh, found out essentially what was happening and needed to tell her. He snuck into the castle to do that. But, uh, as far as like establishing who Eric is, and in that moment, not so much. And it wasn't food based, right? The food wasn't the 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 main connector to move that pot on. It was just a silly sequence. Uh, it felt very Looney toony especially when they started playing the like da 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 da, 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 da. Yeah. Like yeah. it what? was just it. It got really slapsticky. So for what it all means in Coco and how delicious those tamales look, I'm gonna like you're saying move them on so chris it's already been decided but if you have some things to say about uh stuffed crap let's hear it
1: absolutely not uh (laughs) i i had pizza planet pizza over this last episode and there's literally nothing redeeming about the sequence for me other than maybe renee albergen was
2: yeah (laughs) very good
1: I, I don't want to hear John Stamos do that ever again because it's Ugh. a little different. Okay, let's go ahead and, and move over to our first Final Four matchup, which is the number eight seed, Aurora's Birthday Cake, versus the number five seed, Lady and the Tramp's Spaghetti. So these are both standout scenes in their respective Disney films. Both Disney films are classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of them, I, I think just think, are very, very high quality and on the recommended reading list when it comes to classic Disney movies. We already talked about that spaghetti scene kind of being like, a, you know, Hallmark Disney, up there with, with the best of them when it comes to, like, recognizable and meaningful moments in Disney history. That cake moment really is, is not there. I do think it's the best sequence in Sleeping Beauty, but uh, it's really kind of not remembered
2: yeah, when compared
1: when, to the spaghetti scene, at least,
2: and especially with like how the company has always marketed Sleeping Beauty, we either see Maleficent, we see Maleficent's dragon, or we see that that shot of uh, Aurora waking up <laughs> and her her eyelids just like opening. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, daddy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Filthy Phil. Woke up Aurora. Here we go. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, to be fair, I think we can throw Once Upon a Dream into that conversation as well. Yeah, uh, at yeah, least yeah. the shot of them uh, dancing, spinning along the river. Um, Beautiful shot. But there's there's some symbolism at play in the spaghetti sequence. Uh, that, that noodle is very representative of, like, understanding and tramp comes from the other side of the tracks and lady comes from this like nice fancy household and that movie really is about understanding someone who comes from somewhere different from you and that little piece of spaghetti that they are eating together and eventually kiss like that is that is these two unlikely lovers like coming together exactly so uh I'm a sucker for symbolism, and I love that that exists in a bowl of spaghetti in Lady and the Tramp. And uh, even that meatball has some symbolism. That meatball is Tramp's vulnerability. It is his heart. It is him opening himself to Lady by just, uh, you know, nosing that little meatball over to her. Uh, I mean, we've sung so many praises about this sequence. I don't think there's much left to say. It's definitely the better Disney food Uh, over aurora's birthday cake so i'm advancing it to the finals
2: what i really like about the birthday cake scene is you know we we established that fauna in this is out in outer space trying to get back home in the process of making this cake but it just kind of furthers that character development of all three good fairies and like how from then on we're gonna see uh Flora and Meriwether constantly bickering and trying to prove who's better. And we're always going to have Fauna like (laughs) chilling and like, you know, like coming up clutch when she needs to, but for the most part, not trying to get involved with the other two fairies. And and that helps with that kind of story building and and establishing where this is going. And and you're right, like Sleeping Beauty is the fairies movie. It's a fairy movie. From Maleficent, who is a fairy, to the good fairies, right? So, uh, it's extremely important. And especially because the fairies are the ones that come up clutch. They break Filthy Phil out of jail and they give him the freaking sword of truth or whatever it's called. And he goes to town, gives him the power to, like, throw that thing into the dragon. The f- We brought this up so many times. The fairies are the true heroes in Sleeping Beauty. But that food item does not match up to what the spaghetti means and it's it's not only to the story but to the moment and like how now i i would be so interested in hearing if like spaghetti is as romanticized post this movie or if it was always this kind of like italian dinners were like this romantic thing right like we're gonna go have italian food and we're gonna go have some wine and we're gonna sit at this place that plays music and we're gonna at at the time of this movie not the time it takes place but when it was released or if this just started it like now it's just like oh candlelight and some spaghetti huh things are getting romantic out here (laughs) where's tony at where's the accordion (laughs) nothing says romance like an accordion so it's uh It's just such a defining moment in like this love story and this relationship. You said it. It brought two sides of the tracks together, literally, via a spaghetti noodle. So I'm with you, Chris. Spaghetti is moving on. Dare say, any words?
0: You already know. <laughs> I'm still looking for that moment. One of these days.
2: To, you need to find your tramp, and you need to find your uh your hole in the wall Italian place in the Midwest.
1: Just hang out by a dumpster and <laughs> you know, he'll find you, I guess.
0: <laughs> oh, I guess we'll see about that. But yes, absolutely, uh, you know, we've said everything there is to say. As great as the other option was, as relevant, as poignant, we're at that point where all of the choices are gonna be difficult. Is the spaghetti. <laughs> it's, you guys knew it. Listeners knew it. We all knew it. It's the spaghetti.
2: Let's move on. Oh man, spaghetti makes it to the finals. Alright. So in our final final four matchup, it is Tiana's gumbo versus Avalitas. Oh, tamales from Coco. This is <gasps> if you said it was oh. gonna get tough, dare say. This is this is the tough this is the tough matchup right here. This is oh. both really important family building moments. These, The oh. tamales one was like a blink, right? It happened in like almost passing. He's describing who his grandma is. Grandma shows up. They have the the back and forth about the tamales that everyone can, can kind of relate to. And then you oh have no. the Tiana sequence, which opens up the movie and establishes Tiana and her relationship to her dad, who she loses, we find out later on. And that kind of gives her that motivation to live up to his expectations, bring like, uh, continue his legacy here in new Orleans by opening up this restaurant. He'd be so proud. He would love it. All that stuff. Right. So it's, these are two very,
0: (laughs) we talked about guest host bias, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't have a horse in this race because for one, we have my actual heritage. Yeah. in coco and then we have my actual life experience in losing my father yeah in princess yeah and Frog. yeah i am so torn and i i'm actually completely for the first time in this episode i'm completely relying on both of you
2: now oh, here we to go
0: provide arguments that's it a... i am so torn
2: That's a rocky road full of wrong turns.
0: (laughs) Oh, for the first time in these past two episodes, I need to actually trust you to make a decision.
2: So what's really important about the gumbo is the establishment of a character motivation. Uh, What's really important about the tamales and cocoa is the addition to family kind of matters, right? Like this is a tight-knit family in which not only what grandma says goes. So like Miguel is like, nah, I'm good. I don't need any more food. And she's like, <laughs> I, I think I heard you want some more. Starts piling on the food. Okay, yeah, I'll have some more. That's her attitude towards everything. Anything grandma says goes. You're not going to be playing music. What are you doing in the street? Get this dog away from me. Like everything grandma says goes and everyone in the family adheres to that. And that's just another portion of it. It's from like I said, from music to food. Uh, in Princess and the Frog, it shows kind of how important the black community was to each other at this time that Tiana was trying to open a restaurant. And we see that kind of racial injustice when she tries to buy the restaurant the first time and the white owners won't sell it to her. Um. So it there's so much importance in these food items, they're both delicious, Uh, they both are familial, and they both are, well, one's important to the character specifically, and the other is important to the family uh, over in Coco. So you're right, this is the absolute hardest matchup. And this is where it's going to come down to bias and dear say you apologize for it. But literally in every bracket we've ever had, A pick comes down to I just have to go with personal bias and here I think that's what it has to come down to I think my my personal bias is going to go towards Tiana's gumbo and the the community building and what that meant for Tiana's motivations through the rest of the film and if Disney does anything well it's establish a hero's journey and this is the start of it now Disney didn't continue the hero's journey correctly because they turned her into a frog, and then the it went from opening a restaurant to becoming human to open a restaurant, which is absurd to me um, but that establishment to connect back to the family I think is very important, so Chris, I'm moving Tiana's. What say you
1: regarding the real estate transaction um Tiana keeps all of her tips, mostly in the form of coins, in the top drawer of her dresser. And she has about six (laughs) coffee cans full of change. Yes. If she opened that drawer, her whole entire dresser would fall down because that is (laughs) a heavy amount of loose change. I just (laughs) wanted to point that out because I had an issue with that on my most recent watch through Princess and the Frog.
2: (laughs) You're, You're not wrong.
1: Regarding the tamales... Um I really love how much you can infer about this family based on like the idea of them eating together, particularly these these tamales. I feel like we might be giving the scene and the moment a little bit too much credit, like we're almost taking it a little bit too far, especially yeah. when we talk about like oh, you know, this these tamales represent like uh, the love of a family. Um, and, and tamales do at times, but I interpret it as they represent abuelitas love language. Like she is an acts of service person. And so she's so rigid and so stiff and so hard to get along with. This is the only way that she can say, I love you to her family. And so that's really like my reaction to that moment. Um, obviously like I do not have that heritage. So like I have a completely different interpretation, but that's just, just how I perceive, uh, the moment. Sure. I like that though. Like, that's a very real thing. Like people uh, have a hard time expressing their emotions to each other. And that's the only way they know how to do it. And so when Miguel says like, I don't want any more tamales it like hurts her feelings a little bit because like, this is how I'm trying to connect to you. And you don't, you don't want that connection.
2: Yeah, Um, I would
1: like to say something, Chris. Yeah, go ahead.
0: It definitely feels like at this point, you and I are going to switch roles. You are the tiebreaker here (laughs) because Kyle has cemented his choice and everyone that's been listening, even if they didn't listen to part one, everyone that's been listening to this episode in particular knows where
1: I'm going. So... You are the tiebreaker. <laughs> are you locking? Are, are you locking it in? Are you locking in tamales right now? Oh, a hundred percent. Listen. Okay, that's fair. I mean, what it comes down to for me, obviously, like both of these foods sound delicious, look delicious. We've gone over all that. Um, thematically, gumbo is a physical manifestation of the themes, the good themes, <laughs> I should say, in Princess <laughs> and the Frog. Uh, Family Family coming together is a theme In Coco But Coco is a movie to me about reconciling The death of a loved one Or the death of loved ones uh, And about remembering those people And To me the tamales They don't contribute much to that Conversation So I'm going with Tiana's gumbo
2: Dare say reaction before we move On to our finals (laughs) I will grin and bear it. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Hey, that, like I said at the top there, that was the hardest matchup we were going to have to endure. And, uh, you know, when I said that, I didn't know that this was going to be the finals. But this, this, I think, Chris, is pretty deservedly the the final two we should end up with.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I'm pretty satisfied. I'm pretty satisfied with these final two. Um, kind of looking it over, I thought this is where we were going to go, honestly. And I'll start us off. This one's really easy for me. It's Lady and the Tramp Spaghetti because we get to see it. Uh, simple as that. I mean, we started off this bracket talking about uh, what foods look good to eat, which ones look the most appetizing. Uh, we narrowed down our final two by talking about thematic significance, significance to the Disney brand. And – the spaghetti plate in Lady and the Tramp is the best of both worlds. Uh, you've got a really delicious looking food item that you could see yourself eating. You've also got a uh, yeah, a, a dish that contributes to the story, contributes to a developing relationship, and is memorable in the minds of Disney fans that span generations all across the world.
2: See, and for me, you're right. We have been like, how good does that look? How appetizing is it? But in my very first statement, I leaned on the reaction of Belle to the gray stuff, to how the gray stuff actually tasted. And so for me, even though we don't see the gumbo, we see what the gumbo has done and how much it's enjoyed. And I trust the enjoyment of the characters that have had it for it being good. So even though I don't see it, it's the same thing with like if you're, You know, going to a restaurant with a friend and you're looking at a bunch of lines of menu items and you're like, yo, have you had this? And they're like, yeah, I don't say pull up a picture. Some people do. Some people are foodies and they're like scrolling through Yelp and looking at plates. I don't do that. I don't care what it looks like. If somebody tells me that they had it and it was delicious, then I'm going to try it. And that's kind of what I see in Tiana's gumbo. I see A lot of people buying in. I don't think that they're all five-year-old sympathizers. I don't think that they're all just like, oh, we have to do this because Tiana made another pot of gumbo. Like, they're not just doing it to be nice. I think they, like, legit like it. And if they all legit like it, then there's a good chance I will too. Uh, The spaghetti, it's enjoyed by a couple of dogs. We don't know where the spaghetti came from. Did Tony... Cook up the spaghetti, or is this a Chuck E. Cheese moment where it's the no, leftover no, no. spaghetti? No, This is
1: handmade spaghetti. Are you for sure? sure? Are yes, you sure? Hey, it, it, it
2: came out that kitchen pretty quick. <laughs> <gasps> came out that ki- kitchen. It came out that kitchen pretty quick. There, Chris. Uh, it, I th- like. I'm mostly teasing, but now I'm kind of convincing myself, but only because, like. How much Tony has invested into this moment makes me think that like it's not dumpster meatballs. No, here's
1: what happened: is there's a couple out at date night, and they ordered a spaghetti and meatballs. And Tony was like, "Sorry, we gave your spaghetti and meatballs to two dogs back in the alley. You're gonna have to wait another ten minutes when we make up another one." <laughs>
2: Uh, sorry yeah i got delivered to a wrong table we'll whip you up another one really quick (laughs) uh man yeah so like i want to dive into that further but i don't think we necessarily need to uh only because like tony is performing and forcing his busboy to also perform like an entire song for these (laughs) for these dogs in the alleyway one I hope he has more staff watching front of house and two like if he's not then he should have just closed that restaurant up or done for the night it's uh it's the dog's turn
1: also Uh, have we even talked about almost there or down in New Orleans yet I mean that's should be part of the gumbo conversation
2: yeah kind of I think that it's that brings in more though to like Tiana's repertoire of like what she can do though. Cause like almost there is about like opening up this restaurant. That's not necessarily centered around her gumbo because we've also been introduced that she makes great beignets and like the best in town. So like overall Tiana just knows how to cook. Also what's super frustrating about Tiana knowing how to cook uh, is that like her beignets are being made at a restaurant that she's a waitress at that she like sprinkles the stuff did she make them or did like the chefs in the back and I like I'm bringing this up because I haven't seen it since we've had to watch it last which was probably best animated Um. so I'm gonna go on record as saying that I think that she just like takes them out of the kitchen and sprinkles powder on them, gives them to Big Daddy, which is the guy's name. And he and and Charlotte's like, ah Tiana, Tiana makes the best beignets. And that's where she gets hired to do the party. But like, did she make those beignets?
1: I mean, I guess she had to have. Uh, I don't know, because I'm always distracted by the weird animation of like the powdered sugar on them. It's like f- kind of fuzzy and like blurry. Oh, I don't, I don't know, know, know if you've ever, ever noticed, noticed that. that or no. maybe I'm making stuff up in my head, but <laughs> oh. it's like a weird, like foggy texture on the, it's like they tried to make the sugar look super like Powder. powdery and realistic. Yes. And it doesn't work with like the normal hand drawn animation.
2: All right. Yeah. That, that makes sense then. Um, that's probably what it was. We're talking best Disney food here. <laughs> best, best on scene Disney food. I hate, but I don't hate because it just it's just who we are inside, Chris. It's just who we are inside. We often side with the iconic moments.
1: Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we purposefully don't side with the iconic
2: Sometimes moments. we purposely don't, but this time I am going to side with it. Tiana's gumbo shows up in a movie that should have been way more gumbo focused, which just means <laughs> the talents of Tiana in general, and less on the, her ability to transform into a frog. While uh, leading the tramps moment was defined what it was to be romantic in a Disney film, it's still being portrayed as like that Disney moment. It's either like you said, the dress transforming, them sharing this meatball, or then now it's like Elsa closing the doors on her ice castle. Like it, it, those are like the moments we see a ton. So, not only does this dish. Look delicious. I didn't ask the dishes, but I don't have to. (laughs) It is an extremely iconic Disney moment. It is Disney for these two animals to be sharing a human plate while humans perform a musical number for them. So we are naming the best on-screen Disney food, the spaghetti and meatballs from Lady and the Tramp. And as we do... At the end of every single bracket, we are going to clap it out. Dare say, what are your thoughts on Lady in the Tramp spaghetti taking the overall crown here?
0: Should have been go-go. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm willing to put my personal bias aside. The fact is, Lady in the Tramp spaghetti really was a crux moment, not just of that movie, but of Disney as a whole. And who doesn't want to have a spaghetti date, an Italian dinner just like that. And you know what, the pasta looked good. And that's (laughs) what we're talking about here. That's Disney on-screen food. We've talked about what it means for the movie as a whole. We've talked about what it means for Disney as a whole, but it looks like a pretty decent, Dishes, of meatballs. Overall, yeah. it is best overall, that's what I would say. There's some dishes that looked nicer, there's some dishes that meant more, but this has the most of all of the qualities we were looking for. It is best overall, and I'm willing to admit
1: that. Let's go. Well, uh, you're still upset about tamales, I'm still upset about poos Honey, so we will call it even. Dear Saint, thank you so much for joining us for this bracket. It's super fun, super great getting to know you and talking about Disney food. So nice to be here.
0: Thanks, you guys. I'm, you know, anytime Coco comes up, invite me back. How about it has that?
2: come up. It has come up in the past, and I will direct you to those episodes. Just you don't will be upset.
1: Just if you do go back and listen to us talking about Coco, <gasps> you probably won't want to come oh, back. Oh <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, alright folks. Well, thank you so much for listening to our best Disney food bracket. You know how to reach us if you've got something to say about this. Did we miss something? If you got something to add, did we get something wrong? We probably did. Let us know. Send us a tweet at Mouse Madness Pod. Follow us on Instagram, also at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at MouseMadness Podcast at gmail.com if you want to do the whole long form thing. You can join our Facebook group. Or a Discord server, which are both linked in the description of this podcast. Folks, thank you for listening. Till next time, bon appetit.